Well, good morning, Wildwood. Um, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Rick Kingsley. I am one of the elders here at uh, our church, um, and it is my privilege to be here. Uh, for those of you who do know me, well, hello again. Um, we are, um, if you were here last week, you know this, or if you can read on the screen, uh, we're in the midst of a series called Lies We Believe. Last week, David preached on the lie that I am what I do, that uh, my role, my, my job, my, my tasks in life, my production defines who I am. The truth of the matter is that we are who God say, says we are. I am who God says I am. That I am, you are, being created in the image of an infinite God, one with infinite worth. You have worth. This week, I'm going to talk about the lie that it's just between me and God. That um, the lie that it's not necessary for me to engage with anyone else uh, in my faith, that it's a personal thing. It's a one-on-one thing. It's just between me and him. That it's, um, I just have to act right, be moral, and as long as I don't hurt anybody else, I've done exactly what I need to do. I think this is an easy one for us. Um, we Christians in America, especially if you're part of the majority culture, because it, be- it comes from two lies that the culture at large believes. One, that it's all about me. The idol of individualism. It's all about me. That's what I'm going to spend the bulk of, um, well, I'm going to talk about that for a little while. The other lie that I'm, that I'm not really going to address too much of is that everyone should do what is right in their own eyes. Everyone should do what is right according to them. That you should define your truth. The idol of relativism. I think these two parents give birth to the child that translates and comes into our faith as it's just between me and God. It's just a me and him thing, one-on-one. The lie that, okay, so it's all about me. Let's talk about that. It kind of makes sense when you think about where our country and our culture has come from. You take all of the people from the old world who weren't content with the status quo, didn't want what their future held, didn't want to do what their father and, and his father and his father and his father before him did, And so they said, I'm going to make a new life. I'm going to figure out my own way and do, I'm going to, well, I hear there's this land called the land of opportunity. And so I'm going to go there. I'm going to be a self-made man or woman. I'm going to pull myself up by my bootstraps. I'm going to engage in this pretty neat thing called manifest destiny. I'm a dreamer. I'm a doer. I'm an adventurer. I'm an innovator. And so I'm going to go and make my own way. It's all, it's all up to me. I'm going to go, and I'm going to forge ahead, and I'm going to create my own destiny. Give me a chance, and I'll make it happen. I can do anything I set my mind to. All of this has led us to believe. I mean, those are good things for the most part. But the unintended consequence that it has in our lives and our psyche is that causes us to think that it's all about us. 
that I'm at the center of everything. That my voice matters above all. That my desires matter above all. That I need to do what is right for me above everything else. We're the country of rugged individualism. Um, even further, I think we're. Pro- I, I I would be of the opinion that we're the most individualistic society ever. I think the technology that we have today allows us to live our lives by ourselves. It's just us. We can work by ourselves, live by ourselves, have everything that we need delivered to us. And so it's easy for us to get tricked into thinking that we don't need anybody else. Before I go any further, let me say, I just want to give two caveats. The first is, this is not a defense for you spending all your time with people who will abuse you or corrupt you. No. The other thing is this. Again, I do think that the individual matters. I mean, this, this, is not a, this sermon is not a rebuttal to what David said last, last week. Each of us has infinite worth. The individual matters. Wanting to make a better life for yourself matters. Determination is a good thing. So is innovation, ingenuity. So is intellectual flexibility. All of these things that we think are kind of hallmark of our majority culture. Those are good things, but again, once we become fixated on the good things, we can make idols out of them. And those idols, all of a sudden those good things have unintended consequences. Um, I think the advent of Twitter and social media has caused this to become even more challenging for us. It used to be you had to fight to make your voice heard, that you had to kind of be an expert at something in order to be listened to. But now all you need to do is come up with the best hot take. And if it goes viral, all of a sudden you become the lead voice on an issue. And maybe you, I don't know, maybe you intended to, maybe you didn't. But again, it helps us, it reinforces the lie in our lives that it's all about us, that my voice matters. And if I'm louder than everyone else, if I'm more bombastic than everyone else, if I'm more extreme than everyone else, then I get heard more. So the problem with this is we start to, if if, if it's all about us, then we start to only listen to the people who agree with us. That we associate with the people who only hold our views. And we live in these little echo chambers where we just have these agreeathons, where we talk about the people who are different than us and have these terrible ideas that couldn't possibly be true because they're not ours. And so, and then, and then anytime somebody in that echo chamber says something a little different than what we believe, oh, okay, well, we've got to cut that off. And then we've got to cut this person off. And then eventually we just are end, we end up with ourselves. And again, I want to say this. Well, let me, before I say that, let me say this. Um, there's, a, there's a Somali proverb that kind of speaks to this, this cutting off of each other. And it goes like this. I in Somalia against the world. I in my clan against Somalia. I in my family against the clan. I and my brother against the family. I against my brother. Again, 
we have this way of cutting ourselves off from more and more people until we're just left with ourselves. And again, I do want to say this. A lot of, a lot of good has come through our country's history. The marginalized have a voice unlike they've ever had before. We view people as individuals, and individuals do matter. Individuals have infinite worth. Yes, that is a good thing. It is a good thing that people get to be heard. But again, apart from God, all things, even the good things, even the things that he gives us, can be corrupted and can go astray. And so it is. I think, I think we see this in our culture at large. People are more and more isolated than they've ever been before. Anxiety and depression are more prevalent than they ever, than they ever have been before. I see that with the students that I interact with on a day-to-day basis. Um, self-medication, distractions, addictions to substances, to sex, to, I mean, more insidious, money and power. Those things are... We have these things that we use to numb us and to distract us from the fact that we feel alone and that we feel like we're living the life that we, well, that we're not living the life that we were meant to. There's something that we know that there's something off. Um, I meant to say this at the beginning, but um, during the week and oftentimes on weekends, I work for a campus ministry called Crew, um, which... Uh, I know what you're thinking, a, a, a campus minister in the state of Florida with a tucked-in shirt and khakis on. It's like seeing a dog walk on its hind legs. Um, but um, oftentimes when I'm walking around on campus, my lead foot with the gospel when I share it anymore is not you can be forgiven for your sins. That, that was appealing and that resonated for a long time. And I do think it's true. The gospel does still include you can be forgiven for your sins. That you can be free from the guilt that binds you and oppresses you. But the reality is, students walking around on campus, most students walking around on campus these days probably feel that guilt, but they don't recognize it. And that's probably true for a lot of people in the greater culture at large. They ask the question, why do I need to be forgiven for sins that I don't believe I've committed? Really, what they, what they are looking for, the thing that resonates more is, I want to live the life I was intended to. And they go about trying to define it, trying to figure out, okay, what is that life that I'm looking for? And so when I'm talking to students on campus, when I'm out sharing my faith, the question that I ask is no longer, hey, do you want to be forgiven for your sins? But it's more so, where do you look to for satisfaction? What are the things that you're doing in your life to, to, to bring you purpose, to bring you meaning? What causes you to thrive? And I'll get a, a myriad of answers. And the, my, my follow-up question is always this. Is it working? How's that working out for you? Do the things that you look to for satisfaction and meaning, do they, do they deliver? And I don't mean like in a quick hit, just in the moment, joy, satisfaction, release. I mean, do they ever deliver in a lasting way? And oftentimes, most will say no. 
They'll say, I, haven't, I, I mean, not yet. That's actually probably more what they'd say. Not yet. That I haven't gotten to the point where it's going to. Um, and so I think for us as Christians, we know. We know that there's something that's, that, that, that um, well, we know this. We know, A, that God created us in, the, in his image. He created us with infinite worth. He created us to be connected to him, to find our satisfaction, our meaning, our purpose, our life. And that because of what happened way back in the day, back in the garden, and it's echoes throughout all of history, sin entered the equation and we became cut off from him. And so then we recognize that there is something about us that's broken. Something about us that we can't ourselves fix, and so we have to turn to an external source. That external source is the person of Jesus. That our connection to him, that what, because of what he did on the cross, allows us to come back into relationship with God. When we say, yes, it's not about me, it's about you, what you've done. You've accomplished this for me, and I'm going to place my faith in you. We recognize that as Christians... Now, here's where the lie from the greater culture creeps into our Christian faith. We recognize that, okay, it can't be just about me because me, I, am broken. And so we say the lie creeps in and it translates to our faith when we say it's just between me and God. It's a personal thing. Like I said, it's just between me and him, one-on-one. You can't speak into my life because you don't know the relationship that I have with God and you don't know how I interact with him. And really, I can't speak into your life because one of two things will happen. Uh, Or maybe both. The first is you're going to feel licensed to speak back into my life and I just established that I don't want you to speak into my life and so I'm not going to speak into your life. Or two, we believe that, that lie that everyone should do what is right by them And we say, it's actually unkind for me or unloving for me. It's unjust for me to engage in your life and to speak into it and to be a part of it. And so we make these little silos that encapsulate these little stairways to heaven. These these two-way streets, me and God, but they don't connect to any any other ones. We're tempted to believe that the gifts he gives us are for our own use. We're tempted to believe that, the, the, that I'm on my own in this. We're tempted to believe that um, my sin struggles are just between me and him. I don't need to share those with anybody else. And so I want to take a look at what the Bible has to say about this. Uh, and I'm actually going to start in the same place that David started last week. I keep pointing at him because he's back there. Um, uh, but I want to start in the same place that he, he started last week, in, in Genesis chapter 1, uh, verse chapter 26. Then God said, let us make, like, make mankind in our image, in our likeness. Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. You see, God <laughs> in and of himself is a community. It would be wild for us to think that we can do it on our own when God chooses to not do it on him. God doesn't do it on his own in and of himself. 
the Father, the Spirit, the Son, they exist in a perfect community of love and affection, edification, harmony, and at times deference to one another. They're the, they're the example of what our community should look like and what it should be. We were created in that image, and so therefore be part of being Im- image bearers of God, who, his, who is himself a community, part of being image bearers of him is us needing and engaging in community ourselves. In the very next chapter, Genesis chapter 2, there's a verse that is read or referenced at thousands of weddings, maybe millions of weddings every year, and that's this. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. It's not good for us to be alone. In this context, he is referring to that he is going to create Eve from and for Adam, them for each other. But I don't think this only applies to romantic love. It applies to all of us. We were made for each other. And there is the truth to rebut the lie. The lie is this. It's just between me and God. And the truth is, we were made for each other. We were designed for each other. In, this, in, the, in the New Testament, in the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul talks about this. Paul talks a lot in, Uh, throughout his writings, or God talks through Paul, depending on how you want to look at it, about what life with each other looks like, what life in community looks like. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul uses the, the language of the body. He says that we're all part of the body of Christ. And, and, well, let's just go ahead and read it. He says this in in, uh, verse 14, Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but many. Now, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not, not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I am not part of the body, or I do not belong to the body, sorry, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? And if the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? First, let me say this. We are all different parts of the body. We're all designed with different skills and abilities, different points of view, different preferences, different points of emphasis. All of us have a different function in this body. Regardless of who you are, how you're coming in or what you look like, what you, what you do, you belong here. You are a part of the body. You, again, this can't be said enough, have infinite worth. We need you. You belong here. You contribute here. If you're not here, we miss your contributions. We miss you and we suffer. No one can say to you that you don't belong here because you have infinite worth. And I wasn't a math major in college, but I'm pretty sure you can't get any higher than infinity. 
There is no one here that is worth more than you. Let's read on. But in fact, God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all, if they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. God, God specifically designed you and created you to be who you are. It's not an accident who you are. It wasn't a mistake who you are. No, he knew who you would be before he created you. And he designed you and selected you for the purpose that you are going to fulfill in the body. That's really cool. You were intentionally made and intentionally brought in. And, again, we're not all made the same. We're not all ears or eyes or hands or feet. All of us have different functions. And there is, there is, a, diver, there is, there is a difference in these functions that we have. There are different roles that we play. We have a diverse set of, again, skills, abilities, points of emphasis. And we must be unified. We're not uniformed, but we must be unified in the midst of our diversity. As a, as a singular church as Wildwood and as a part of the greater church and the greater body of Christ as a whole, we must be unified in the midst of our diversity. The eye, uh, verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. Now, Paul kind of pauses us. He says, yes, just like I said, you belong. Just like I said, you have infinite worth. Just like I said, no one can tell you that you don't belong here. <laughs> Likewise, you can't do the same to anyone else. You're supposed to be here, and so are they. You belong here, and so do they. No one is worth more than you, and you are not worth more than anyone else. Regardless of who you are, regardless of the role you play, whether you are a parent, a child, a husband, a wife, an employer, an employee, a leader, a follower, whether you are a hand, a foot, an eye, an ear, a head, a... we are all equals here, equal in worth. And so I want you to hear me say that. If, real quick for leaders and followers, one of the best things that I can tell you is, is ask, ask yourself this, am I a blessing to those I lead? And then also ask yourself, am I a blessing to those who lead me? Or am I a curse to those who I lead? Or a curse to those who lead me? Am I a blessing? Um... So, continuing on, but God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, 
but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. Um, if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is part of it. I think this section can be summed up pretty well in this. Paul invites us to look to each other. Take the gaze off of yourself and look to each other. That Somali proverb could be translated like this oftentimes with the way that we view others in the body. Our church's need, the church's need before the world. Our denomination's need before the church. Our church's, our singular church's need before the denomination. My small group's needs before the church. My family's needs before my small group's. My needs before my family. Y'all, I'm not saying that there will be times when you just need to be cared for, when you will not have as much to contribute. There are those special times, but our default de facto posture generally needs to be one of mutual concern for others, moving towards others. Um, I heard a story one time that um, a little girl was at a birthday party um, with her mom, and she was frustrated and she was angry because the, the party wasn't, they weren't doing with the party what she wanted to do. And the mom just looked at the girl and said, this, this is not your party. You don't get to decide how it goes. And I think that's the truth. We are the body of Christ. It's his body. It's his party. There is going to be times when things don't go the way we want them to in the body of Christ. There will be joint pain in the body of Christ. There will be suffering. There will be difficulty. Y'all, there is, you, if you wait for your needs or your wants or even your brokenness to be fixed before you engage and contribute to the body, you will never get there this side of death. It's a both and. It's an, it's an in the midst of action. We must move towards others even while we may be lacking ourselves. Again, what I'm not saying is you need to spend all of your time with people who will abuse you, who will take from you and corrupt you. But what I am saying is there is going to be difficulty here. Um, one of the, one of the um, most famous pictures of the 20th century reminds me of this analogy that Paul is using. It was taken in, in um, 1984, and it was on the cover of National Geographic in, in the summer of 1985. It's a, it's, it was taken in, a Pakistan, in Pakistan in an Afghan refugee camp, and it's simply called the Afghan girl. Nobody knew who she was for, for decades, and it's been called the Mona Lisa of photography because you look at that picture, and there are so many ways you can interpret her expression. I think more than anything in that picture, what you are drawn to, what I am drawn to, are her eyes. Her brilliant eyes that have copper and emerald. These, 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 I mean, 
Are they defiant? Are they fearful? Are they hopeful? Is she about to laugh or get angry? But how demented would it be for us to say her eyes are so beautiful that we should remove them from her head? We should preserve them and so that all future generations can see and savor the beauty that are her eyes. No, obviously that's terrible. What is at once, what is right there, a thing of beauty, a sign of God's beautiful creation, is, would immediately become a, a, a thing of derision and regret, something that would repulse us. The same is true for us. Our body, the body of Christ, is meant to be tightly knit together. That all of its parts coming and functioning together as one. That we must be in this together. And like I said, there will be friction at points. There will be times when you have a hard time, when you suffer. Sometimes because of other sin towards you. Sometimes of your mutual sin towards each other. Sometimes you'll suffer because of no sin at all. Sometimes you'll suffer because someone who you love, a part of the body that you love, is suffering. And we will mourn with them when they suffer. We must celebrate each other's wins and come alongside each other's when we experience loss. Y'all, but again, this friction, this difficulty, this conflict at times... It's a temporary, momentary exception to the rule. One day, every tear will be dried, every ailment will be healed, and we will experience friction-free, conflict-free, perfect harmony in this body. But until that day comes, okay, how do we live? What's our ethic? It's this. Um, I think that Genesis chapter 12 Verses 2 and 3 are a great ethic for us as we live in the body. God basically comes out of the wilderness, introduces himself to Abraham and says, Hi, I'm God, and let me tell you what's going to happen. He says in verse 2, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse And all of the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. I will make you a great nation. Abraham's going to be like, yes, this is awesome. I'm in. Where's the line? I'll sign it. And I will bless you. Great. This is awesome. I I don't know who this guy is that just walked out of the wilderness towards me, but deal. I will make your name great. That's what I'm talking about. Excellent, so that you will be a blessing to others. Okay, that took a little bit of a left turn. I uh, don't know, okay, uh, I guess. We, I'm, I'm still in. We are blessed to be a blessing. The good things in your life, the blessings in your life are, are, are there so that you can be a blessing to others. Now, now, you are blessed. You get to experience the blessing. You get the, it's not just like I just like immediately get a present and then have to hand it off. No, it's you get to experience the benefits of the blessing. And also, so do others. 
I think the way I ask this question, the diagnostic question I ask myself is, do the good things in my life, the blessings, the, the things that I like about myself, the things that I like about my circumstances, my sense of humor, my intelligence, my house, my friends, my family, my possessions, do all of those things, does anything, does X move you towards people or does it cause you to withdraw, to preserve, to keep for yourself, to make last the blessing? And so I, that's the question I ask myself all the time. Is this thing a blessing for me or have I turned this thing into maybe an idol? This good thing that God intended for good purposes. If I, if I maybe lost the plot with it a little. And so I'd say this. I've got a couple of things that I would encourage you to, to engage in. And I think if you do these things, then it will take you a long way in terms of moving towards others. Experiencing the life and the body that we were intended to. In addition to that question I asked myself, these three things. The first is this, confess sin. Confess your sin to others. I would say, this would be my encouragement. If, you, if, you're, if you're not used to this, if you've got to struggle with sin, something that, I mean, is just difficult for you to kind of get past um, this. Confess to two different people and two different types of relationships, your spouse and a friend, um, uh, 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 somebody in the church, somebody outside the church, um, a family member, a friend, something like that, somebody who you lead, somebody who you follow. I think when we confess sin, I think it causes us to be humble, to recognize that we don't have it all together. I, it causes us to have compassion on others. I've seen the greatest victory over sin in my own personal life when I confess it and it open and honest with people in my life about it. It has less control over me and less power over me. You may be able to overcome said sin struggle, sin struggle just by sheer force of will, at least behaviorally. But how, how is your mind and how is your heart? Further, does it cause you, when you overcome it by your own, does it cause you to have compassion on the lost and on people in your life who may have similar struggles with sin? Or does it cause you to become like the Pharisees, to look to them and say, thank God I'm not like them? Jesus looked at the Pharisees and said, you, or well, he said, they are like whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside and full of death and decay on the inside. So, one, confess sin to each other. Two, kind of related, resolve conflict. Resolve conflict in your life. I would say this. When it comes to resolving conflict, aim to resolve conflict. Do what you can do, humbly, without expectation of the other person. Whether it's all your fault, kind of 50-50, or it's just kind of your fault. Go to them and say this, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? That's the phrase that my parents taught me and drilled into my head for the 18 years I lived with them. 
And the thing that's neat about that phrase is what you do is, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? It, you, you ask them a question, you give control back to them. It's not a, you're not wrestling power away from them. You're not making them, you're asking them. And so I'd say this, when you do that, do so humbly. Do so in compassion for the other person. Y'all, it's, conflict is a very hard thing to navigate. Confess sin, resolve conflict. Speaking of hard things to navigate, share your faith. Engage in evangelism. If everyone has, being created in the image of God has infinite worth, then that means that there are people out there with infinite worth who are wandering in death without hope of fear, of re- without hope of rescue, who are in desperate need of the relationship with God that we have. And so we get to engage in, it's not work, it's a privilege, but it can be hard. Sometimes it's hard to surrender the idol. For me, it's hard to surrender. I'm an evangelist, and it's still hard for me to surrender the idol of control, to go out and just see what God has. But I'd say we get to engage in the greatest treasure hunt of all time because we get to go out and find treasure, people of infinite worth, and we get to go and bring them back to the Father. And so I'd say those three things. If you have a hard time engaging in the body, if you have a hard time moving towards others, I'd say take steps in those three areas. Confess sin, resolve conflict, and share your faith. I think, I think you will be glad you did. Because you will be moving away from the life. It's, ju- it's, it's just between me and God. And moving towards the life that we were intended to live because we were made to be connected to him. And we were made for each other.